Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 280 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Leading in 2024. What can we expect? Today's going to be a bit of fun, but also hopefully super informative. I'm going to take a look at what's likely to be ahead for economies, businesses, and leaders in 2024. At the end of each year, I normally spend a bit of time looking at a variety of sources and come up with a view on a range of possible future outcomes in different areas, business, politics, and society more broadly. And without trying to make fearless predictions, I do like to have some sense of how the world is trending. Remember, trend is your friend. Rather than just making judgments based on a snapshot at a point in time, it's way more useful to see which way an issue's been trending over time when you want an idea of where it's likely to be this time next year. I try to use a range of fairly reputable sources for my information, so publications like The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, The Australian Financial Review, um, Harvard Business Review, but, you know, I also delve into The Atlantic, a Fast Company, and even Wikipedia. I've used a bunch of articles to compile today's episode, so if you want a deeper dive, we're going to leave links to all of these in the show notes. I'm going to start at the macro end of town and then circle in on some of the issues that you're likely to face with your people, culture, and performance in 2024. 
So not only will it help to set your frame of reference for how you lead in the coming year, but I also guarantee that you will be the most interesting person at any dinner party. All right, let's do a quick recap on 2023. Now, the big surprise was that there was no recession last year, despite the fact that almost everyone had predicted there would be. A major part of the world's ability to avoid the unavoidable hinged on the US running a massive deficit, around 7% of GDP. Now, this has propped up the economy and improved global stability. The Inflation Reduction Act, which was probably quite poorly named, hasn't yet resulted in the delivery of the major infrastructure works that have been promised, but it did inject a shit ton of cash into the US economy. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. The consequences are being felt in other areas. For example, productivity took a steep decline, as many had predicted. Anyone who wonders why this is the case should rely on Occam's razor. The simplest answer is most often the right one. Remote working has opened up a Pandora's box of productivity issues as productive hours worked deteriorated significantly. The addition of hours of unnecessary meetings just to stay in touch has made people less productive. And some poorly managed but enterprising workers are even holding down two jobs, apparently in less time than they used to spend working on one job. This is going to drain productivity substantially. I've read a lot of articles on both sides of the remote work debate, and I'm convinced that the productivity decline in the OECD countries can be attributed to the root cause of remote work. But this isn't just a flash in the pan. This is a structural reset that we're all going to have to grapple with in the coming year. The trend on protectionism and the global economy was exactly as predicted. We've seen a continued turn away from global trade. Some countries, like Australia, have even enacted policies to set minimum tax thresholds for multinational companies. This is no doubt going to affect the flows of global trade, labour, capital and intellectual property. Uh, The China-US conflict escalated. However, I was very relieved to hear that the Chinese and US military are now talking again through their informal channels. The fastest way to a global conflagration is through misunderstanding, assumptions and the isolation of the two main global powers. Talking of wars, Russia's invasion of Ukraine is dragging on into another winter, and rich world democracies seem to be a little jaded. They appear to be losing interest, which puts ongoing funding and support for the war at risk. It's fair to say that no one anticipated the 7th of October terrorist attack on Israel by Hamas. This ongoing conflict is a key source of uncertainty. At the time of recording this episode, the first attacks outside of the Gaza Strip had been reported. Stability in the Middle East is going to be a key indicator, and it'll take some canny diplomacy from the leading powers in the West to navigate through it unscathed. So this 2023 recap provides the backdrop as we enter 2024. Let's turn our attention for a moment to politics. Now, you probably know I don't like talking about politics. This podcast is about leadership, and there's not a whole lot of strong leadership in politics that we can see. But this year is super interesting. There was a Forbes article titled, 2024 is the biggest election year in history. Now, that caught my attention. This article cites data from the Economist's Economic Intelligence Unit, so it has high credibility. 
And just as an aside, don't forget the website, mediabiasfactcheck.com. This independent website rates virtually every available information source. Before you form an opinion about anything you've read, it's really worth checking out how accurate and credible that information source is likely to be. It's also important to know whether the source of information typically leans to the left or right of centre, philosophically. The Economist, which is one of the most credible and unbiased sources of information, released an important article several weeks ago, and it's probably flown below the radar. The analysts from the Economic Intelligence Unit used a comprehensive research technique and crunched many millions of data points to work out whether the media in the USA is predominantly left or right leaning. The article was titled, American Journalism Sounds Much More Democratic Than Republican. Now this is sort of cool, right? The data analysts compared terms that were used mainly by Democrats or left-wing lawmakers with terms that are mainly used by Republican or right-wing lawmakers. For example, when talking about the issue of abortion, Democrats tend to use the term reproductive rights whereas Republicans use the term unborn baby. When talking about immigration, Democrats tend to use the term undocumented immigrant, whereas Republicans use the term illegal alien. By analysing how often these terms appeared in various media articles, they found that the language is mainly left-leaning. Now, that won't be a surprise to most of you. Once you get beyond Fox News and the Daily Wire, There aren't that many obviously right-wing news sources. What's even more interesting is that between 2017 and 2022, this left-leading ideology in the media has become even more pronounced. So, for example, in 2017, CNN used predominantly right-leaning language, believe it or not. But as of last year, it was solidly entrenched on the left. So knowing this just helps you to assess the bias and reliability of any information you consume. Uh, But I digress. Now, where was I? The biggest election year ever. 76 countries are going to go to election in 2024. This is over half the world's population. 4.2 billion people will get the vote, including India and the USA. Once again, relying on data from The Economist's Economic Intelligence Unit, they track 71 of these countries. And... They've determined that 43 of those 71 elections are likely to be fully democratic. But 28 elections won't be free and fair. So they're unlikely to bring about any regime change. For example, there's an election to be held in Russia. But the odds of anyone but Vladimir Putin winning that election are non-existent. After initially having Putin as the odds-on 11-4 favourite, most betting agencies have since closed their books. It's interesting how the EIU rates certain countries. The USA is rated as a flawed democracy, whereas Taiwan is rated as a full democracy. The US election is of particular interest, of course. Now, I watched a few of the Republican primary debates between the candidates trying to secure the Republican presidential nomination. At this stage, it looks like it could well be a rerun of the 2020 Trump-Biden election. Trump is way ahead of his Republican rivals in the pre-selection polls. So far ahead that he didn't even bother to show up for the debates. He has double-digit leads over both Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, the two frontrunners. 
Of course, Joe Biden is the sitting president. So it's going to be super interesting to see if the Democrat Party is actually going to allow him to go up for re-election. You'll struggle to find anyone on either side of politics who doesn't think his age is a problem. And despite the fact that the US economy is performing pretty well, his approval rating is incredibly low. At his inauguration, Biden's net approval rating was plus 23%. And this represents the margin between the 53% of voters who approved of him and the 30% who didn't. But as of the 4th of January, his net approval rating is minus 17%, which is the difference between the mere 38% who approve of Biden and the 55% who disapprove. Look, who knows where all this will land? But it's going to be fascinating to watch this race. And it's likely to be decided by a few swing voters who aren't aligned to either party. Whoever wins the US election is likely to further suppress free trade. And this is the thing that bothers me the most. It's a really worrying trend from an economic and business perspective. In fact, in Trump's second term manifesto, he outlines a policy position to implement a 10% blanket tariff on all imported goods. This sort of protectionism would be disastrous, plunging global economic progress back into the dark ages. It wouldn't just be awful for America's trading partners, but also for the US itself. Less competition, higher prices, increased inflation, and an even greater decline in productivity would be unavoidable consequences. Now, of course, the US election isn't held until November. But the reaction of markets and consumers is going to be evident well before this when the names of the two candidates are announced by their respective parties. All right, that's my political commentary for another year. So that last couple of minutes is all you're going to hear from me. Let's get back to business. There are a few key trends in global business right now. And there's an Economist article, which I'll leave a link to, talking about the 10 business trends for 2024. I just want to give you a quick run through these just so you know what they are. Number one, the world's central banks are going to start to reduce interest rates as inflation slows. With global inflation still at 5%, however, consumer spending is going to remain cautious. Number two, renewable energy consumption will climb by 11% to a new high, but fossil fuels are still going to meet 80% of total energy demand. Number three, IT spending is going to pick up, rising by about 9%. Artificial intelligence is going to generate a bunch of hype and tons of scrutiny, but it's not going to deliver much revenue. Number four, there's going to be an infrastructure spending gap of around $3 trillion, which represents the gap between what's required and what's actually going to be spent. To plug its infrastructure hole, Asia's gross fixed investment is going to expand by about 4%. Number five, Revenue in the advertising industry is going to increase by 5%, primarily as a result of the US presidential election campaign and major sporting events like the Paris Olympics. Number six, international tourism is going to bounce back to create record revenue of $1.5 trillion, fueled by pent-up post-pandemic demand. Number seven, health spending is going to increase significantly. With 10% of the world's population aged 65 or older, Healthcare will make up one-tenth of global GDP. Number eight, America's going to allocate $886 billion to defence spending to support Ukraine and keep pace with China, whose neighbours, including Japan, 
Taiwan and the Philippines will also bolster their defence spending. Number nine, government subsidisation of the electric vehicle industry is going to increase the penetration of EVs and one in four new cars is going to be a plug-in. Finally, number 10, with 60% of America's firms allowing working from home, a fifth of American offices will remain empty. Now, the EU's less relaxed employment policies are going to keep its vacancy rate at just about 8%. Let's turn our focus to the big-ticket business risks. I found a great article in the UK Telegraph written by Matthew Lynn. It's called, rather cheerily, The World is One Wrong Move from Catastrophe. (laughs) But it does identify a couple of really important risks that we need to pay attention to. The first is supply chain risk, and the threat to seaborne trade in particular. Recent attacks on trade vessels around the Red Sea and the Suez Canal could add billions of dollars to logistics costs as ships are diverted around Africa. On top of this, Iran has threatened to close the Straits of Gibraltar, which separates the Atlantic Ocean from the Mediterranean Sea. We could be facing shortages of critical components. So first, there's the very real possibility of a blockade of Taiwan. In case you don't know, Taiwan produces 60% of the world's microchips, including 90% of the super-advanced chips that can't be manufactured anywhere else. Then there's the fact that China has been cornering the market on rare earth minerals. These are essential ingredients required to manufacture renewable energy products, such as batteries and wind turbines. If your company is aligned to renewable energy or transportation, you need to keep a close eye on this one. Another global risk is the ever-increasing threat of serious cyber attacks on critical infrastructure. This has become even more likely in 2024 due to the new wave of AI-enabled tools and capabilities, and it could make security breaches both easier and more frequent. And then, of course, our classic financial risk, there's always the possibility of a collapse in the financial sector. And the Telegraph article identifies a key risk in the private equity markets. $7.1 trillion worth of assets are held by private equity. And the industry itself is quite highly geared, with significant debt levels. Of course, the cost of servicing this debt rises as interest rates rise. And the likelihood that one of the big players is going to default on their debt is increasing. Let's get down and dirty. How is this going to affect you in your day-to-day leadership? I want to start with just a quick word for our Aussie listeners, which makes up over one-third of the global audience for No Bullshit Leadership. Great articles in the Australian Financial Review, one of which is Five Big Tests for Small Businesses in 2024. Small businesses in Australia are going to be subject to a range of issues, and many of these ring true for other developed economies as well. For example, Cash constraints are going to persist as small businesses absorb the rapid price rises, but they can't necessarily pass these increases on to customers. Peculiar to Australia, of course, a punitive set of industrial relations changes is going to increase the risk to all businesses, but especially small businesses who rely on the flexibility of their workforce. And the amount of red tape being thrust onto all businesses through well-meaning legislation in the areas of privacy, superannuation, cybersecurity and workplace obligations are going to be especially costly for small businesses. Managing these changes will no doubt put a burden on your business and you can't take your eye off the ball. 
let me move to a Fast Company article, Five Leadership Trends to Watch in 2024. Now, of these trends, I particularly like the first one. Apparently, in 2024, it's going to be important for leaders to develop new skills, like being able to show people that they care about them, while at the same time managing for accountability. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. Sounds like a quote from my book, which I wrote four years ago. They'll also require the ability to build culture with less contact time than they may have had pre-pandemic. Now, it's funny, although it feels like we're well past the days of COVID lockdowns, we're still outworking the impacts of the pandemic. But more on this shortly. The article also identifies a trend to reimagine leadership development. This is definitely an essential component of preparing leaders to meet the challenges ahead. But look, it's not rocket science. When we developed Leadership Beyond the Theory in 2018, we foresaw the need for a combination of high-tech delivery of hard-hitting but simple content with personal instruction and implementation guidance. I must say it's going to be a welcome change when companies start to embrace a learning methodology that actually works and offers the potential for long-term benefits to their leaders' skills, capability and performance. The other trend I like is the need to think about performance management differently. Now, the article cites the move away from performance reviews. Command and control no longer works, apparently, as if it ever did. But now they say people would be motivated by status, autonomy, certainty, relatedness and fairness. That may be true. And if you say it fast enough, it sounds easy. But remember, all self-esteem comes from achieving difficult things. And tapping into that requires high-order leadership skills. There are a couple of really useful podcast episodes you should track down if you have an interest in this area. The first is an important episode I did some time ago. It was episode 96, Performance Reviews. The second episode is more recent, about motivation. Episode 232, What Motivates Your People. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes. I want to finish with a quick word on the work from home issue. Now, many companies are becoming more demanding on their working arrangements, requiring greater time in the office. There was a fantastic article in The Economist in November. The fight over remote working will heat up in 2024. How much in-person attendance companies and teams require depends on many things. But in my view, it has to be driven by the practical realities rather than just blanket policies. Obviously, if you work in the construction industry, for example, it's pretty hard to pour the foundations for a bridge pylon from home. But many white-collar workers are going to have to face into this tension. But it really has to be horses for courses. If you work in an R&D team that has to produce disruptive innovation, you might need to be in a common location way more than other teams, even in the same company. That's if you want to be successful, of course. Regardless of the drivers, we're starting to see increasing employer demands for in-office attendance. As many of you would know, I'm a huge fan of irony. And one company that's requiring a very structured approach to office attendance is Zoom. (laughs) So isn't it ironic that the company that enabled us to work effectively from home is committed to in-office attendance? That's because they get it. There are many things that can be done from home. But building culture, developing talent, managing performance and innovating are not amongst them. 
The research shows that the gap between the number of days employers are prepared to let their people work from home and the number of days employees would ideally like to work from home is still significant, but it's not insurmountable. On average, across the country surveyed, there's only roughly one day a week difference or less in most cases. Unfortunately, it looks like it may be decided by a power struggle based on labour market buoyancy. As the unemployment rate increases, companies will be more assertive and employers may be more inclined to suck it up. But this is not a recipe for high performance in any language. So I would advocate the following approach. Number one, your requirement for face-to-face attendance should be based on the demands of the business, the team and the individual. What do you need to do in order to balance team and individual performance with employee satisfaction and well-being? Where is that sweet spot? Make sure your demands reflect the needs of the business to perform, compete and thrive. You're still trying to run a business, protect profits and generate growth. Simply pandering your people isn't in anyone's best long-term interests. Number two, each case should be treated on its merits, bearing in mind that any perceptions of favouritism or unfairness can demotivate your team. Number three, you need to communicate the why to your people and show that it's not just an illogical policy, but that it has a basis in performance. Number four, use the face-to-face time really well. Don't just get people to come into the office so that they can perform exactly the same tasks they carry out at home. It's just going to breed cynicism and discontent. Finally, number five, make sure you continue to lead by focusing on results, not on unreliable lead indicators like time spent at the desk. Your high performers are going to show themselves really quickly, as will the tourists who are just along for the ride. So 2023 definitely had its challenges, but it turned out better than most everyone expected. 2024 is going to be challenging on many fronts, and this is going to affect consumer sentiment. This in turn will affect demand, so many companies are going to batten down to weather the storm. Being bold in this environment and taking calculated risks will pay off if you have the confidence to be counter-cyclical. But there are a lot of landmines to avoid as well. The well-worn principles of delivering value, creating organisational momentum with fast, prudent decisions, and strong accountability in execution will still be the keys to success. Keep doing the work on yourself and be the leader who can nail 2024 for you and your people. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 280. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you hit the subscribe button to No Bullshit Leadership on your favourite podcast player. I look forward to next week's episode, confident, secure, and enabled to perform. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 